Chapter Ten of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Hindman. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Chapter Ten: Elsie's Literary Venture and Its Success. Elsie Melville found the second day in street better than the first an early walk with jane restored her to her equilibrium and she sat down to write in her own room with more rapidity than before while jane went out and made inquiries at registry offices or anywhere else that was likely to lead to employment but day after day passed without success rather than do nothing she assisted peggy in the lighter parts of her work made clothes for the children and helped them with their lessons in the evening Peggy was astonished at the progress which they all made with such assistance, and particularly delighted with the great influence Jane had over Tom. As she grew accustomed to the ways of the house, she learned to endure the noise patiently, and she found these five young Glowries really interesting and remarkably intelligent. Tom especially was eager for knowledge, and his trade, which he entered into with all his heart, was calling out all his abilities and all his ambition. There were many things that he had difficulty in getting information about, for he was but a young apprentice, and the journeymen and older apprentices wanted him to wait on them rather than to learn the business. But he was not to be kept back in that way. He was determined to find things out for himself, and in every difficulty he found help and sympathy from Jane Melville. Her out-of-the-way knowledge made her a most useful auxiliary, and she rejoiced that there was one person in the world that she could assist with. She did not forget Peggy's wish about the quick writing, and taught those peasant children to express themselves fluently on paper. Their manners were improved under her influence, and what was still uncouth or clumsy she learned to bear with. Another resource to lighten the weight of anxiety and disappointment was found in Peggy's extraordinary gift in finding out distressed people, which even in her new residence did not desert her. Jane, who had been accustomed to put her hand in her purse for the benefit of Peggy's protégés, felt at first very grieved that she had nothing to give, but she learned that a great deal of good can be done with very little money, and satisfied herself by giving sympathy, personal services, and advice. It was astonishing what good advice she gave to other people for bettering their prospects, while she seemed quite unable to do anything for herself. But so long as Elsie was busy and hopeful with her poems, Jane could not bear to leave her. If they failed, they must try what they could do separately. In the meantime, she was more disposed to try classes than anything else, for her experience with the Lowrys proved to her that she could teach clever children, at any rate, with success. But as she could not get the promise of any pupils of the rank and circumstances that could make them pay, she hesitated about incurring any risk. Elsie had completed poems sufficient to fill a small volume before her sister had seen any opening for herself. It was with some strong agitation on Jane's part, and still stronger on Elsie's, that they presented themselves to the publisher, who had said he would give a good price for a good book written by a woman, and offered him the manuscript for publication. Alas, tastes differ as to what is a good book, and in nothing is there so much disparity of opinion as in the article of poetry. He did not give much encouragement to the sisters, but said he would read over the manuscript and give an answer in ten days. Any one who has ever written with the hope of publishing can fancy Elsie's feeling during these ten days. Her own verses rang in her ears. She recollected passages she might have altered and improved, 
and wondered if they would strike the critic as faulty then again she recalled passages which she fancied could not be improved and hoped he would not skip them now she would sit idle in the thought that until she saw there was a market for her productions there was no necessity for multiplying them then again she would work with redoubled industry to see if she had not quite exhausted her fancy and her powers the final verdict was unfavorable there is some sweetness of versification and of expression in miss melville's poems but they are unequal and want force and interest they never would become popular so that i feel obliged to decline the publication poetry is at all times heavy stock unless by authors of established reputation elsie sat sad and dispirited at this her first failure but her sister comforted her by saying that edinburgh was not the best market for anything new london was the place where a new author had some chance elsie easily caught at the hope and retouched some of her most imperfect pieces before sending them to a great london house to publisher after publisher the manuscript was sent and after due time occupied in reading it the parcel returned with the disappointing note mr b s compliments and he begs to decline with thanks miss melville's poems as in the opinion of his literary adviser they could not answer the purpose of publication or messrs h b and company's compliments and though they are overstocked with poetry they have read carefully miss melville's poems but find them of the most unmarketable kind so beg to decline publication or messrs s e and company's compliments and they regret that the subjective character of all miss melville's poems will make them uninteresting to the general reader they therefore regret that they cannot bring them out when the notes were as brief as the foregoing samples the pain was not so severe as in the last which elsie received in which a careful but most cutting criticism accompanied the refusal there is no doubt that elsie's poems were crude but she had both fancy and feeling with more knowledge of life and more time she was capable of producing something really worth reading and publishing if there had been no talent in her verses she would not have had a reading from so many good publishing houses but she did not know enough of the trade to know this and her humiliation at her repeated disappointments was exceedingly bitter there is no species of composition that should be less hurried than poetry even if it is struck off in a moment of inspiration it should not be published then but laid aside for alteration and polishing after a considerable time has elapsed and much of our best poetry has been very slowly composed even at first our poor little elsie had prepared by great industry her volume of poems in less than four months and had not taken time to reconsider them they were not narrative pieces in which the interest of the story carries you along in reading whether the diction is perfected or not but mostly short lyrical poems and contemplative pieces which are always much more effective when found amongst other descriptions of poetry or in a magazine than when collected together in a volume they were generally sad a common fault with poetesses but poor elsie had more excuse for taking that tone than many others who have done so she had to mourn the loss of fortune and the coldness of friends the conduct of william dalzell to her sister had made a deeper impression on her mind than on that of jane she had more capacity of suffering than jane had and when she took the pen in her hand she felt that her life and all life was full of sorrow jane had induced elsie to accompany her to the chapel where she herself had learned her first lessons of submission and the christian hope 
but even in religion elsie inclined to the contemplative and the tender rather than to the active and the cheerful side of it she looked with far more intense longing to the heaven beyond the earth than jane did and had not the interest in the things about her to make the dreariness of her daily life endurable her poetry had been her one resource and that appeared to be very weak and contemptible in the opinion of those who ought to know whether the literary taster for the publisher last applied to was less engrossed with business than the others or whether he thought it would do the aspiring poetess good to show her her faults i cannot tell but he wrote a long letter of critical remarks there was one ballad an idealization of the incident in jane's life which had so much impressed elsie in which william dalzell was made more fascinating and more faithless and jane much more attached to him than in reality which this correspondent said was good though the subject was hackneyed but on all the others the sweeping scythe of censure fell unsparingly her poems he said were very tolerable and not to be endured mediocrity was insufferable in poetry the tone of them was unhealthy and would feed the sentimentalism of the age which was only another name for discontent if poetesses went on as they were doing nowadays and only extracted a wail from life the sooner they gave up their lays the better the public wanted healthy cheerful breezy poetry with a touch of humour here and there and a varied human interest running through it a fit companion to the spirited novels of charles kingsley then at the height of his fame if poets were to teach the world as they boasted that they were they should not shut themselves up and practise variations on the one poor tune i am miserable i am not appreciated the world is not worthy of me but go forth to the world and learn that there are nobler subjects for poetry than themselves then with regard to elsie's diction and rhymes this critic selected a number of the most faulty and imperfect verses for censure and elsie had the miserable satisfaction of having to acknowledge that they deserved it i have little doubt that the critic thought he was giving the poetess a good lesson but if he had seen the suffering that his letter caused and the youth and inexperience and the sad circumstances of the poor girl who received it he would have repented somewhat of his very clever and satirical letter heart-sick and humbled elsie lost hope and health and spirits she wrapped the rejected manuscript in brown paper and put it in the farthest corner of one of her drawers she was only prevented from committing it to the flames by jane's interference now said she i must be as busy as you peggy must teach me to iron surely i can learn to do that and let me make nancy's frock but after all jane this will not do for a continuance we must seek for employment somewhere i have spent a good deal of time over this useless work and postages have come heavy on our small means i must try to earn something the heavy tears fell fast on the frock as the girl worked at it the listless hands dropped their hold of it occasionally and she was lost in bitter thoughts she however finished it and then busied herself with a new bonnet for peggy which was to be made not at all fashionable but big and rather dowdy elsie's taste rebelled a little at the uncongenial task but she was doing her best to please peggy when the postman delivered two letters to jane one from francis and the other from mrs rennie francis's letters had been frequent and had been a little interesting even to elsie and this one was more so than usual he was coming to edinburgh for a week or two and meant to see them as much as possible during his stay he was to be at a party at the rennies on new year's day and his cousins were to be invited also he trusted to meet them there 
The Rennies had occasionally called, and shown the girls more kindness than any of their Swinton friends or their other Edinburgh acquaintances. They had spent a fortnight in autumn at Cross Hall, and had enjoyed it very much. The note from Mrs. Rennie contained an invitation for both sisters to this party, and to girls who had been shut up so many months with no society but that of Peggy and her relations, the prospect of spending one evening among their equals in social position was very pleasant. Jane anticipated pleasure, besides, from seeing and talking with her cousin about everything and everybody in and about Cross Hall, as well as about a tour on the continent which he had taken. Even Elsie's face brightened a little as she gave the last loving touches to her sister's dress, and said that she had never seen her look better, though she was a little thinner and paler than she used to be. To Elsie's eyes, she was quite as pretty. End of chapter 10 Recorded by Amanda Heineman in Glen, Mississippi